Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanek with Figure It Out Baseball. We've got a great Figure It Out Baseball podcast today for you. Uh, we have Ross Trachtenberg joining us on the program. He is a returner to the podcast again and, and one of the top contributors really uh, for videos on the Figure It Out Baseball website. Ross Trachtenberg is currently the recruiting coordinator at Westchester University, a very decorated Division II program in southeastern Pennsylvania. Uh, I'll give you a background on Coach Trachtenberg before we jump into questions with him. Uh, he is a graduate of Lehigh University, graduated from there in 2002, got his master's degree from Drexel in 2015. In his coaching career, he was the head coach at Friend Central School, uh, high school in, uh, in Wynwood, Pennsylvania. That was from 2004 to 2013. In 2011 and 13, the team won the league title. In 2014, he got into the college ranks. He started at Newman University, a Division III in Aston, Pennsylvania, where he was the recruiting coordinator and the head coach of the JV program. In 2015, he took a job in California at Pomona Pitzer College, another Division III. This is in Claremont, California. Uh, at Pomona Pitzer, he was an assistant coach recruiting coordinator. Then in 2016, he got hired at Westchester. That's the spring of 2016. He has been at Westchester since. He acts as the hitting coach, catcher's coach, recruiting coordinator for Westchester. In 2016, his first year there, the team went 37-14. and 14. They won the conference championship, went to the NCAA regional, had two all-conference players that year. In 2017, the team actually won the Division II World Series, and an unbelievable feat. They finished with a 44-11 and 11 record. The team had one All-American and four players named to the all-conference team in 2017. The next year in 2018, the team went 31-17. and 17. They were ranked as high as number two in the country that year again, went to the NCAA regional tournament. They had three All-Americans on that team. They had a 34th-round draft pick. They had a player tied the single-season home run record with 13. They had a, the conference player of the year. They had a player who hit 469, which led all of the NCAA Division II. Then this past year in 2019, the team went 31-16. and 16. It was the fourth straight season with 30-plus wins, also the team's fourth straight trip to the regional tournament in, the, uh, in NCAA Division II. They, uh, Coach Trachtenberg coached two all-region players last year, including one that was named the Region Player of the Year. He was an All-American. He was named Conference Male Scholar-Athlete of the Year, uh, as well as leading the Region with a 438 batting average. Um, Coach Trachtenberg has been an associate scout with the Pittsburgh Pirates since 2011. Uh, Ross, appreciate you being here today. Yeah, absolutely. Really excited to you know, dive into some more more baseball info. Uh, we're in the winter time here in Pennsylvania, so it's really exciting to talk baseball now. <laughs> exciting just to think about it in any any way possible. I was just reading some articles before I came, just to kind of that's kind of how you get through the day for me, just to get a little baseball fix here and there. <laughs> so. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh... I'd like to talk a little more specifically than the first podcast that you and I did together, and today we'd like to talk specifically about recruiting. I think it's a topic that a lot of listeners to the program, it's, it's, a, it's a popular topic, and it's something that I think among high school coaches, travel coaches, obviously high school players, it's a, it's a hot-button topic that 
um, that really there's not a, a, an incredible amount of information out there for people to try to figure out this process, to try to navigate through the recruiting process. So um, let's try to get into some depth about some things today and just try to help people to understand what's happening on your end as a, you know, as a recruiting coordinator. Um, let me just start by kind of asking, you guys have had a lot of success there uh, at Westchester. Um, you've had some players that have done some really, really special things. Does that, is that more attributed to the caliber of player that is recruited to your place, or is that more attributed to, you know, the work that's done on campus? I'm, I know there's a combination of both. If you had to point to one or the other, is it more about development or is it more about, you know, it's got to start with the recruiting of the right players? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question and a, and a tough one to answer. I'd say the, the combination. Um, but if you don't recruit the right guys, then the player development piece, I think you, there's only so much you can do. So if you're not recruiting the right people um, with the right type of work ethic, then, you know, the, the hours you want to put in, you know, they're not going to be useful if you're not recruiting the right students academically then they end up not being eligible and now you're you're without players uh, so you can develop them all you want but uh, they don't have a 2.0 GPA so now they're they're not eligible when the, the season comes along um, so I think it, it obviously it goes hand in hand but I think the recruitment piece it's really tough to be successful if you don't recruit uh, the type of people, the type of students, and the type of athletes that you'd like to have in your program. So I'd like to – there's a couple questions I'd like to ask, but you shoot some video on the website where you talk about a lot of different things in the recruiting process, and one of which that you get into is just really, um, you know, what players need to do off the field to have a chance to play, to be eligible. Can we talk about that just for a minute first? When you are recruiting student-athletes, what do you need to see from a high school student-athlete to know that he is going to be eligible to play once he's on campus? Like, what does a kid need to make sure he's doing all the boxes he needs to be checking? Yeah, so on the academic end, essentially? Yes. Yeah, so academically, there is the NCAA eligibility center uh, that athletes need to go through if they're looking to play uh, NAIA or junior college, and those standards don't quite apply. Uh, the same way they do for NCAA institutions. Um, but coming out of high school, there is a sliding scale with um, standardized scores and uh, with um, your GPA. Um, so the 2.2 coming out of high school is what you need to be essentially eligible. And then when you're in the, in the school, the 2.0 is what you need to maintain, plus a number of credits taken per year, per semester, or quarter, depending on the school. Um, Every school has a compliance officer, so whenever we do have a student that we're considering as uh, a freshman coming in or even a transfer, uh, that there's kind of any question marks, any gray area, um, as coaches, we've got to go through our compliance officer. So in, the, in every NCAA school has somebody uh, in their department that does that. So for that student athlete and family that they're kind of questioning, hey, is, this, is my son going to be eligible essentially? Um, again, kind of asking the coach to have the transcript looked at by the compliance officer is going to be the best step. Um, and that's the kind of the coach's role there, the student athlete, and the parents don't need to go to that compliance person directly. Um, that would be pretty much for every sport, too. So, you know, there, there may be, uh, you know, families with softball players that are listening to this or other sports, um, just making sure that the eligibility piece is in place. Um, 
and that's again going into you know your freshman year out of high school and then also the transfer piece too comes into play to make sure you've taken your credits you don't want to end up on campus and then find out oh i can't play my freshman year or i have to sit out a year or a semester because of whatever rule so i'm going to ask you a question that i have heard i don't know if you have heard this but i've heard this as a college coach uh, I'm sure you've at least heard of it, if not heard it yourself. But what about the parent who's listening to this or the coach listening to this that says, like, yeah, but this kid's really good, so you guys, mm -hmm. you're going to have to make an exception for this kid. Is there such a yeah. thing as an exception academically? So for NCAA purposes, no. So it's it's pretty cut and dry, and, and we've certainly had, um, you know, some really talented players uh, interested in Westchester or, or, or on campus, and we want to get them on the field. and you know, we take it to compliance and like, no, the, the student hasn't taken the credits or they didn't do what they needed to do GPA-wise. Um, so a specific story would be, you know, a high school player of ours that we recruited, we made a financial aid, uh, a scholarship offer to going into a senior year um, and academically said, you know, you need to go in the right direction opposed to the wrong direction. Like you're kind of teetering, admissions is on board, you'll have to do a summer session um, that's open to the university, but that'd be a good first step for you. Um, and the student went in the wrong direction, essentially, during the senior year, kind of nailed it in because he figured he had an offer and got to the point where not only could we not accept him, but he wasn't going to be eligible to play anywhere NCAA-wise. Um, set player went to junior college, and, it's, and that's perfectly fine. And academically, it ended up probably being the right place um, for the student to kind of, you know, kind of get his act together. Um, so this is a picture that we would have loved to have part of our program, but our hands are tied not only by our own admission office, but by the NCAA at that point. So as much as we would have liked to see him, we couldn't kind of push him through. Um, and then I think the other piece to it is every school has their admission standards. And for baseball, it's not a revenue-generating sport anywhere in the country, really. Um, so the pull that a coach may have is, is not that great when we're, when we're talking about academics. There's academic support for all students and student athletes. Um, but when we're recruiting a player, and I say this, we being, you know, college coaches, you know, we want the right fit baseball-wise, but we should also be looking for the right fit academically. So Westchester specifically is, you know, we like to see students that have a 3.0. Uh, so that 2.5 student, like, we could go to admissions and fight for that player to get in, but if that player comes in as a 2.5 and struggles and now he's a 2.2 and even slipping further down have we really done a service to that player um, is that player going to be so focused on catching up academically that those pluses that they're bringing baseball wise you know they get forgotten because the students so bogged down with study hall hours meeting with teachers and just the stress of not doing well academically so you know, yeah, we could push a little bit, and you hear about the little bit of leeway potentially for, for guys, but, you know, in the end, are we doing a service to that athlete by trying to kind of force his way into a university? Um, and every admission office is a little different. Every university and, and coaching staff has different philosophies there, but I think in general, you know, we all want the best for the student athlete. It's an important answer for people to know, to know how that works, and to know that if you don't get it done in the classroom, there's there's really not a lot of leeway, like you said, with with college baseball teams. Um, let's go. Let's kind of dive into 
your initial answer as far as just you know whether it's development or recruiting and, and you just mentioned that you've got to have the right guy the right people with the right work ethic you know the academic part of it um, when you're out recruiting how do you know when you see the right guy the right people the right work ethic you know what are you, or is it uh, you know what you're seeing with your own eyes are you you know talking to coaches like how, how do you just identify the guy that's the right fit for Westchester uh, yes, yeah, so there's, and it's a question that we get a lot, and it's, um, there's not a direct, there's not a short answer, unfortunately, um, and every coach in the country would probably answer this question a little bit differently. Um, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, our four coaches that are out recruiting um, all say the same thing, uh, at Westchester at least, but, you know, if you talk to the next, the next school, they're looking for something a little bit differently, but um, for us, I think it's a combination of everything, and um, we do work with a limited roster, so we need to be really sure about guys. Um, so we don't have kind of the room to redshirt players or have an expanded roster with the JV program included. So the let's find out how he does once he gets on campus approach is not something that we can do. Other schools kind of have that flexibility. When I was at Newman and there was a junior varsity program, you know, you could take flyers on, on a lot of guys because, you know, they were going to get an opportunity to play as freshmen on JV, if not on, you know, if they weren't quite ready for varsity. Um, so we're in a different situation um, at Westchester. So, again, kind of making sure so we see the player with our own eyes. We get to kind of see how they, you know, certainly handle themselves, handle adversity on the field, handle success, how they compete. You know, those are some intangibles you don't get unless you see them in person. Um, but usually we're getting, you know, we're starting the whole process with email communication with the player, talking to their summer coaches or their high school coaches, um, certainly advisors that might be in the mix there. We certainly hear from them. So I think a, a big key to managing this process on the coaches and, you know, from our side is trying to do a whole lot of, kind of research on players before we go out. So the concept of going to a, you know, a field to see if there's any players there or a tournament to say, hey, who's good here, that's not a really good use of our resources. So what we try and do is before any tournament that we might be attending, before any um, showcase, it's, you know, essentially know who we're going there to see uh, ahead of time. And that's, you know, do they have a 3.0 or close to a GPA? Um, you know, do we think, you know, measurables-wise, do we have a, a good feel of how fast they run, how hard they throw? Um, so when we go there, we have an expectation of, okay, this is about what we should see uh, from a player. Uh, it's, it can be pretty rare that you go and you're totally shocked that there's this amazing player there that you've never heard of, never seen, nobody's ever kind of, you know, turned over for you. Um, it's, it's kind of hard to hide prior to an event. So I think for us it's doing our homework ahead of time, Essentially, so when we are out there on the road, which we are a good amount, you know, we can, we have a game plan going into it. It's like a lot of work. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it, and it but it but it definitely pays off. The um, these events can be overwhelming, whether it's a tournament or showcase style or even your own camp. But they can be overwhelming for the player. On the coach's side, if you're not going into it prepared, if you're not going into it, you know, with a good feel of who you're going to see. Uh, it's very overwhelming for us too. Does a player in, you know, we're, we're going to the 2020 season. <clears throat> Does a guy in 2020 
need to play travel ball to to legitimately be seen and and like get enough at bats where guys where uh, coaches are able to see them. And I'm asking just you know in case there's somebody out here who kind of has that question if um, does someone need to play travel ball or is high school and maybe Legion enough? You know, from your experience, how often are you recruiting guys that don't play travel baseball? Yeah, I think, you know, in this area in Pennsylvania, kind of travel ball, the summer travel circuit is, is more popular than the Legion circuit now. You know, it was different, whatever it was, 20 years ago. Um, our starting, you know, shortstop, uh, Justin Horn, we saw him. Um, you know, I, I had a relationship with his head high school coach, had a good rec on him from there, good stats. We saw him at one showcase event, and he played Legion ball, and we, he came to one of our camps, and that was enough. Um, and he was, he's an interesting one, can kind of get into the two-sport athlete, multi-sport athlete. He played football. He was a starting quarterback for his high school football team. So, so much of his time was devoted there as well. So he couldn't quite do that full summer circuit and, and fall circuit um, anyway because he had to be with the, with the football team too. Um, and it certainly didn't take away from his ability to, you know, be seen and his ability to, you know, find the right fit for him and, and for us certainly we're, we're really happy with him um, being a main, main part of our program for what will be a four-year career. Um, I think the, the, the benefit of the, the travel ball or, or kind of the showcase teams a lot of times can be coaching staff there that can help talk parents and their players through the process and you know kind of get them to play at a high level things like that um, and it's not a hundred percent of the time but I think you know there's there is something to that where their business you know model the the summer teams and showcase teams is essentially you know to help those players get some form of exposure in connection with college programs. Um, the high school season, just relying on the high school season, I think the, the main difficulty there is just the opportunity for college coaches to get out to see them because we're busy with our own schedules. Um, so the reality of how many high school games we get to is, is it's pretty minimal. Um, we're going to see players at the end of their seasons when they might be in a, a playoff type of a situation. Um, and then our goal is the guys we've identified, we're going to get to see them early in the summer. Um, but in terms of, you know, if they're a pitcher and we can see them pitch a Legion game, um, hey, you know, that, that can be certainly good enough for us um, that we can get a feel for the player. Um, so kind of a long-winded answer, but I don't know if there's one way or another. Um, but I think that, you know, again, finding the right place where the player is going to kind of thrive is, is an important piece to that. Okay. If a kid is sort of that, well, for one, for whatever reason, if a kid is under the radar and believes that he can play for you, but you have no idea who he is, what's the best way for that kid to legitimately get on your radar? Yeah, so it's a great question, and and it and it's not a that's not a complex one. I think the the easiest thing and is to email me directly. Um, and you do this with any college in the country, you find the recruiting coordinator and or the head coach, um, and you give us the basic information that, you know, every coach wants to know, which is, you know, where, where your academic standards, you have a chance to be a good fit for the, for the academic side of the school. Um, and then if you have measurables such as velocity, 60 times, exit velo, if you don't, that's perfectly fine. 
um, and then video. And video used to be a really complex uh, thing with VHS recording devices and trying to figure out how to edit those. <laughs> that's not. That's certainly not the case now. So. Uh, clipping off some um, videos on, on your phone of some batting practice swings. Um, if you're a pitcher, uh, a short bullpen session. Um, just starting with that, um, you know, if I've got a, a, you know, maybe a 30 second clip on a player and just some of that other basic information about academics, um, that's probably enough for me to make an initial read uh, in probably less than a minute to say, yeah, this is a potential fit. Or you know, there, this is this is not quite meeting what we're looking for generally. Okay. Let's talk about the recruiting video for a minute. If someone's going to send you a recruiting video and they want to do a good one, like best possible video to give you the best look, how long do you want that to be, and what do you want to include? I know you just said if it's a pitcher, just a, you know, a bullpen. If it's a hitter, just some BP swings. Is there anything else like in a, in the ideal video? What would you like to see? How long would you like that to be? Yeah, for sure. And and there are some videos, like you mentioned, that I've created for, for Figured Out Baseball that address this specifically, so have probably more details than, than I might cover now. But um, I think the, first of all, you know, it doesn't need to be fancy. It doesn't need to be done by a professional. Um, just basically make sure we can see the full body, make sure we can see kind of what you're doing. So if you're a pitcher, like, let us see the whole body. Let us see the, the ball coming to the catcher. Um, and don't worry if you feel like you're missing something, because if a coach wants to see more, they'll just ask for more. So, um, you know, I'd prefer, if I had a choice, to see in-game video from behind home plate. Um, so if you send me a bullpen session and it's, you know, February and you're doing that inside or in a practice setting and there's no batter, that's, that's perfectly fine. That's a good starting point. And if I want to see more, I'll simply ask for more. Um, so I think, you know, from the pitching perspective, that behind home plate view is, you know, a great one to have if possible. Um, the hitting view uh, for hitters, I like to see the open side. So you can, you're looking at essentially the chest of the, of the hitter. Um, In-game video can be tough to get, and I don't need to see a 12-pitch at bat that ends in a walk. <laughs> I'd, rather, I'd rather see, you know, cut the clip down a little bit to when you're swinging and making contact. Um, I like to also personally, I like to see batting practice swings. So, and that can be on a field or in a batting cage, but still same thing, kind of being able to look at the open side of the hitter and see five to 10 swings. Um, I think that can be really useful. Um, the, the kind of the, the things you want to avoid doing is uh, doing your videos from very far away uh, that the player is just a, a speck on the field. And, you know, we get game footage and, you know, I'm not quite sure which player on the field I'm supposed to be looking at in the video because you can see a lot of action going on. So uh, kind of be clear with, like, it zoomed in on the person I'm supposed to be watching. Okay. Um, fielding can be a little bit more difficult, um, particularly getting game footage. So for that, I think it's the easiest is to do just kind of a, a practice setting and infielder just a close-up of some ground balls being fielded and thrown, and then maybe some zoomed outs you can see a throw from across the diamond, and kind of same concept for the outfielder. Um, but those, again, they can be a little bit more difficult to, to actually film. Um, so, again, if you kind of start with the hitting piece and start with the, you know, with the pitching stuff, catchers, you know, watching you receive and, and watching a couple throwdowns, again, it's a, it's a starting point. And getting back to your, you know, kind of initial question, that 60 to 90 second video, 
um, is plenty. Um, and again, the coach that's interested is just going to simply ask for more. And you are actually, if someone sends you a video, <clears throat> excuse me, if someone sends you an email with video, you're actually going to watch it. You're not just going to delete it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, as long as, it, you know, if I see that the GPA is 2.2, then I'm, I may not get to this, the point where I open it. If it's 2.2 and, say, a 2020 right now, yeah, there's there's very little that I can I can do. Um, I'll probably I'm just because <laughs> I'm curious. I'll, I'll still open up the video, um, but just to to get a feel because the other thing is that player may end up going to say a junior college or maybe a post grad year, and now we're interested in them a year later. The academics are in line, so it's kind of you know, even though it makes no sense right now academically, it, it may in certainly in a year or two years down the road or even three. Um, so kind of, you know, I'm not quite doing my job if I only at least open up that email. Um, to me, generally, the email links are kind of a little bit easier. Uh, you don't have to worry about what device, um, you know, the, the, the coach is on. Um, you know, they don't have to download something, which can take a long time. Um, the links are, are easy to share from one coach to another rather than potentially sending a large file. Um, link to like a YouTube videos. Yeah, I think link to YouTube is, is really easy. Um, Twitter is certainly fine too. Just make sure your Twitter account is uh, all appropriate on there, which it should be anyway. Um, but yeah, I think that's the easiest thing. Uh, I would say for for the families out there, don't expect a college coach to continually check a player's YouTube account to see, you know, oh, is there potentially a new video? So if you add new video, essentially, you know, email the coaches again or if you're at a text message you know level with that coach it's just send a note say hey i added new video here's the link for it again um don't kind of assume that we're going to go on there on our own to, to do it we've got a, a pretty big database that we're working through and you can hear more about this topic from coach trachtenberg at figureitoutbaseball.com it's a free resource for young baseball players and coaches just to learn more about a lot of a lot of places in the game a lot of things about the game and uh, Coach Trachtenberg's got a lot of video on there, especially in the neighborhood of recruiting. I uh, got a lot of stuff on there. So, um, have you ever signed a guy just based on video alone without going to see him in person? Uh, absolutely not. It's just the, not to say that it's not truthful on the video, but you can just see so much more uh, in person. Even a bullpen session where you feel like you got everything you needed to see in that 15 pitch bullpen and the player comes in and essentially does the same exact thing for you. In um, Division Two. we can actually have players come in and, and work out for us, essentially a tryout. Um, that's a Division Two rule uh, that Division One and Three can't use, but they're going to show us exactly what we saw in video. But we do have that opportunity when we see a player live to see, you know, what's kind of their body language before, during, and after uh, their workout. You know, how do they react? if they spike a pitch um, in a bullpen setting, um, the warm-up, the cool-down, and all that. Um, and, again, for us, we're, you know, we've got a, you know, a, with a limited roster size, we do need to, you know, be sure about guys. So, um, you know, and kind of going off of that, if you look at our roster, um, primarily Pennsylvania residents because we're, we're a state school, so tuition's lower, and the guys that are out of state or Delaware or New Jersey are, are close enough by uh, we get to see them multiple, multiple times. So the player that I get information from from outside of our region uh, and sends video, usually that's what I have to kind of rely on. 
Um, and the reason those a lot of those guys haven't really kind of ended up on campus is just the ability for us to see them in person. And haven't you seen enough on video? I said, yeah, I have, but you know, I need to see in person. But you know, unless you're showing me something different in person than I'm seeing on the video, it's not worth you you know traveling across the country to come to a camp or whatever it may be. Um, so you know, getting back to your initial question, the video is a great starting point for me to say yeah, you know, it's worth it. We'd love to see you in person, love to see what you can do. If you can show us this in person and more, that this could be really good. Or, you know, a lot of times, it's, you know, just based on this video, you're not quite there. It's very fair for players to ask for feedback. You know, what do you, what do you mean specifically? Um, just be, you know, open to receiving some feedback um, to say, you know, it's not worth it for you to, you know, essentially you know, put yourself out there to attend this showcase we're going to be at or come to our camp to expect, you know, something's going to come out of it. If I can see the video and tell you, you know, you still have development to do. Um, and from my perspective, I'm never going to tell a player, you can never play at Westchester because I can't tell you, you know, what the player will look like in six months. Um, but I can say at this point, you know, there's not enough there for us to move forward with you as a recruit. Let's talk a little bit specifically about each different positions. Mm-hmm. And kind of you know what you're specifically looking for. Let's just talk about hitters first. Just to you know take away everything else that that we've kind of already talked about. Or you've talked about just um, you know the work ethic, what the guys like, how he's how he's handling success and failure, things like that. A guy's in the batter's box. What do you want to see? What are some tools that you know you're taking notes on a guy? You know, what do you like to see from a hitter, Ross, that will tell you that he can hit at your level? Yeah, um, and it's, you know, we, we talk about the eye test, and it's, it's what I see uh, compared to the, uh, the next person sees uh, with their EYE eye, not I personally. Um, so, you know, I like to see a, a hitter that can repeat his mechanics. Um, and what that tells me is there's some physical strength there and there's also muscle memory there because the player's taken a million swings. Um, so when guys say, oh, I work out, you know, I swing 100 times a day every single day and I see the video and every swing is different, uh, they're falling over after half of the swings and don't reset their feet um, into the same position, I don't feel like there's one way to hit. The you know if you look at our hitters, if you if you come watch us take BP, our guys have different stances, their hands are in different positions. Um, but my goal with them is to be consistent with it. So when we're recruiting players, we want to start with that that there's you know there is a work ethic there and there's a method to to the work ethic where they're trying to again as a high school player they're trying to kind of do the same thing over and over again. Um, and then the second piece would be that it matches their ability level. So, you know, the, the really big, strong guy that has a super short, choppy swing, um, you know, that doesn't match well. Um, so how much work would that player need when they get on campus to say, you know, you're six foot four and, and strong, you shouldn't be trying to hit a ground ball to third base and beat it out. But that's what your swing looks like. Uh, and then obviously the opposite is true, the guy that's five foot eight, and you know is, is swinging for the fences but when they max out and have a huge huge hit for them it's a pop-up to center field um and they're a fast runner so let's you know if they get on campus that's going to take us a while to kind of adjust to have them be successful against a really high level of pitching okay between 
a guy that's very toolsy but isn't currently experiencing a lot of success in the game uh, compared to a guy who, you know, doesn't really stand out tools-wise, but you've seen him a mul- you've seen him a number of times, and he just seems to square the ball up and just seems to get a lot of hits. Between those two, which guy is more attractive to you? That's, that's a good. That's a really tough question. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and, and and I'd like to say both, and I'd like to say neither. Um, <laughs> to be to be fair. Um, so with the player that kind of just continues to get it done, um, but doesn't do anything kind of super flashy, the, the 50 times not amazing, the exit speed's not amazing. For that kid, we like to essentially see him in a real, in tougher and, and tougher environment. So for a hitter specifically, it's okay. He's doing that against high school level pitching. You know, how can we see this player against tougher pitching? So, um, if we're in a camp setting, can we see him hit against a, a pitching machine with with raised up velocity? Um, if they come to a camp, and I think this would be a specific one, either coming to our camp or we see him at another event, and you know it, when it lines up really nicely, we see the kid that we want to see hit, and he happens to be hitting against one of the top pitchers at the event that's throwing, say, 85 to 86 and has a breaking ball. It's like, okay, you know, this is the type of pitcher we're interested in, this type of hitter we're interested in. Let's see how this kind of matchup looks. Um, and a lot of times, you know, we see kind of one falter or the other. Um, you know, it's that hitter that kind of does it great all the time, but when they face up for velocity, then they can't quite handle it. Um, so that can be a telling point for us. Um, the player that's really toolsy um, and has that bat speed and that flash, you know, it's the same thing. It's, okay, if you get in there against somebody throwing a decent breaking ball, even, you know, uh, average breaking ball, and you're nowhere close to it, we say, you know, yeah, you've got this bat speed that's over 100, but, you know, you get into our conference and you're just, you'll get a full weekend of breaking balls. You won't see a fastball all weekend. You know, there's not much we can do with that player either. Um, but, you know, there is the attraction side of that player that has, super athletic abilities and do we think you know with time they can get there so again both have attractive pieces and for us i'd say we just would keep kind of for lack of a better word testing them and then with the ability to bring a player in for a workout um, we can almost bring them in and and almost simulate whatever we wanted to um, in that type of a situation which is a big plus for us and those workouts can happen anytime outside of the spring season so a player that's in their senior year, for instance, and we just, we've seen them a lot of times and we just can't make a decision, you know, one way or the other, or, you know, we wanted to see them face better pitching and they just haven't, um, we can bring them in and essentially put them into an inner squad um, and just let them like have at it against college level pitching and use that as a tool. I'm going to push this a little bit further. Say you've seen these two guys over and over again, and both of them kind of have similar type results and you've got to pick one, which of those two guys are you, or would you rather have on your team? Yeah, um, honestly, we if we weren't sold on either, we would pass on both. Um, we've, we've certainly been in that situation where I think we feel like um, with the limited roster size, we're, if we're not sure about a player, we're going to pass. And that can be, you know, kind of any time of year. Um, and that's 
because of years of recruiting and having a full roster that, you know, we're, we're trying not to put ourselves in a position where we have to take, you know, we need two outfielders in this class or else the whole thing's going to fall apart. Um, we need two catchers or else we're, we don't have any depth. Um, so we don't want to put ourselves in that type of a situation. So I, I'd say, honestly, if we were in a position where we just weren't sold either way, we'd, we'd pass on both of them. What's the if you had to kind of point toward one tool for a hitter that is so important that if he doesn't have this tool, we're, we're not going to take him. We're definitely not going to take him. Does that tool exist? And if it does, what is it? Yeah, um, and, and you can go a lot of different ways on it, but if, if I had to point to one, I'd say exit velocity, um, and it doesn't need to be 95 to 100, um, but when it's 75, you know, it's tough to, to see how somebody with that type of bat speed can hit mid to upper 80s fastballs. Um, you know, so if a, and again, you put yourself in a situation against uh, the conference starters that we see, um, you know, if you can't touch a 85 mile an hour fastball, uh, then the pitcher is going to have their way with you and kind of thinking like, how can you get over that? There's not another way to, to kind of compensate if you don't have that, that kind of bat speed there. Um, so if I had to point to one thing, that would kind of be, you know, we value that metric. Other programs don't even look at it. Um, but for us, I think that's probably one thing that I personally value. I think we value as a program. So what for a, you know, for a postseason, a, a regional type of Division II program um, in the country, just to give people an idea, what sort of exit velocity ranges do you have on your team and how are you measuring that? Like, are you measuring it off of a tee? Are you measuring it off of, you know, front toss? Are you measuring it against live competition using a rap soto? Just so, you know, so if a kid says, like, I have this kind of exit velocity, there's some relativity to it. He's got to measure it kind of the same way you guys do. So what kind of uh, exit velocities do you see in your team? And how do you, when, you know, when and how do you guys measure that? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a really good question. Um, so I think one um, element to it is, you know, measuring it over time. So it's not uh, the one time the guy swung it really hard and connected perfectly and he scored a 94, but all the other scores are 83, 84. Um, and, you know, did the, did the radar pick up the, the tractor trailer on the highway behind the, the field, that type of a thing? <laughs> yeah, was it, the, was it the pitch velocity or was it the exit velocity? Um, so we do a lot of, a lot of our um, – you know, kind of tracking of this would be in a batting cage in a controlled setting. Um, I, I personally like to do it off a of front toss. I think it allows the player to have a little bit more timing and also not be able to kind of cheat like they could off of a tee or they kind of wind up and fire. You know, they're hitting a moving object. Um, doing it off of almost a live pitching or, or a machine can be a little bit tougher because you're just not going to get as many good readings essentially. Um, traditionally, we have used uh, the radar gun uh, for this and, and setting up radar gun behind home plate. Um, we uh, do have access to Rapsodo as of this fall, so we've been you know, tinkering with that a little bit. And you know, I think there's there's absolutely value to that and getting multiple readings and kind of storing information that way. Um, but we're going to record it basically every other week in the fall uh, for our guys, and then again, you know, into the spring season and I think just because when we're in the spring season, we're kind of more focused on results of, you know, are we doing a good job with our bats? I kind of want to kind of take a take a step back on worrying about, you know, the exit velocity. If we've done a good job 
all fall and the beginning part of our spring semester before you start games, kind of the, the swinging the bat hard concept is already in there. Um, and then, you know, ranges that we're looking for, I'd say, you know, the incoming, you know, freshmen, we like to see them, you know, in that kind of mid-80s to upper 80s range would be really acceptable for us. Um, looking at the frame of the player, do they look like they're going to put on size, things like that. Um, but for the guys on our team right now, I mean, it's, it's kind of, I'd say, the range, the high range, um, you know, would be in that mid-90s, but the team as a whole, it's basically, I'd say, just a tick under 90, so maybe the 89 to 91 would be the, the medium for all of our guys. Okay. Let's talk about defenders a little bit. Mm -hmm. Let's start um, in the infield, which I think, uh, you know, recruiting guys probably all over, they, you know, they get excited probably more about a shortstop, a defensive shortstop than maybe any other defensive player around the field. Uh, for for a lot of reasons, shortstops can move around to different positions. Shortstops, you know, typically uh, coaches are going to put their some of their better players and better athletes at short. Um, if you are recruiting an infielder that you think is going to play for you right away, just speaking purely defensively, you know, taking the hitting metric out of things, what do you like to see from a from a defensive guy? Let's talk about infielders first. A guy that can play uh, either shortstop, second base for you. What are you What are you looking for? What are some tools you need to see? Yeah, and I'd say the, you know, the, you say shortstop, second base, my, you know, really strong recommendation for, for infielders is when you go to your showcase, to your camp, whatever it is, um, go to shortstop, don't go to second base. You're going to have just longer throws. You're going to be able to show off your arm strength more. You may eventually be a better second baseman for whatever reason. That's perfectly fine. But when you're taking throws from second base at 45 feet, um, it's not able to show off your strengths. So make sure you're over there at shortstop. The pro-style showcase, everybody throws from short for a reason. Um, so when you go and kind of have a choice of where to go, uh, go to the shortstop. So you can kind of show things off, show different types of plays. Um, I think arm strength needs to be needs to be there. It can make up for a lot of other things. Um, and arm strength, I mean, that, that 80 to 85 range can certainly be plenty. Um, certainly more than that's a, a plus. Um, but for us, it's how smooth can the fielder kind of, you know, pick up the ball and get rid of it if we're playing at a four-second pace. So the, the base runner is going to get to first base in four seconds. You know, can you get rid of the ball essentially quick enough and hard enough and accurately to do that? Um, and the, the player that we see on the video and looks pretty good doing some kind of, you know, basically a, a – practice setting or even a showcase take five ground balls different routine setting that's great to see and then we like that player then it's seeing them in a game setting um, and for that player if you're at shortstop or second you know you're just going to get more balls in a game setting um, and if we see a player and you know we just see him take a lot of different ground balls it's how did they react to them how they play on a tough surface what they do with that, you know, that kind of weird hop in between um, a throw down from the catcher that bounced short? Do they kind of just dodge out of the way, or do they get in there and make a nice pick on it? Those things are, you know, come into play for us because those are the realities of, of our game. So when we get to that point where we've identified a middle infielder in this case, um, we're watching watching everything. We're watching the in-between inning ground balls that they're taking or, or I.O. if that's a possibility as well. What do you see from a guy that tells you that he's going to be able to stick at shortstop? If you read any scouting reports, especially for draft 
uh, in the MLB draft, you read a lot of like guys are drafted as shortstops, and he probably won't be able to stick a short, or you know, this guy legitimately has a chance to stay at shortstop. Um, so it's you know a lot of guys move off that position as they move up levels for obvious reasons. But for you to watch a guy, like are there one or two things you can point to that tell you? I think this guy can really actually play short in a game as opposed to having to move to first or, you know, a lot of infielders end up moving to the outfield once they get to higher levels. Um, what uh, what tools, if any, tell you that, that that a player has a chance to stay at shortstop and be a four-year shortstop? Yeah, I'd say the kind of the athleticism tool, and it doesn't have to necessarily be a you know straight 60 time, but, you know, just being able to move, uh, in an athletic fashion, um, being able to make a variety of plays because of that athleticism, and that comes from watching the player, obviously. Um, so I think that's that's kind of the biggest thing for us is you know how do they how do they move around, how do they you know attack the ball, things of that nature. And I think when you know if somebody's giving us a wreck on a player and saying I'm not sure he's a future shortstop, he does it at the high school level, you know that's fine for them to tell us, but we'll we'll take a look at the player and there's a lot of unknowns of, you know, how this player is going to physically develop by their, you know, junior, you know, if they're 17 years old, how are they going to look when they're 20? Um, you know, can, will they become more athletic, less athletic? Um, injuries can play a part of that thing too. So, you know, when we're looking at it, if we had to use a, a crystal ball, I think we, you know, have to look at just overall athleticism of the player. Um, to say, yeah, you know, this guy could be our shortstop of the future. Um, but with the reality being, you know, we don't know. How is how, this player going to look in two, three years from now if they, you know, go home over the summer and, and grow and get stronger and now they're not quite as mobile? Okay, maybe they need to play a different position in the infield or, or as you mentioned, the outfield. If you're at a showcase and you're watching the infield portion, would you rather see – an infielder get rid of the ball very quickly and only, you know, maybe throw the ball 80% as hard as they're able, or would you rather see a guy kind of catch it and and take an opportunity to sort of wind up, crow hop, and really show off the arm? You know, between those two, is there, Mm -hmm. you know, talking to if there's a high school kid listening to this, because you see both at showcases, and I think kids are probably there saying, like, well, which one should I I do? I don't know. Well, what would you rather see? Yeah, probably the first option, just the guy that's a little bit smoother, gets rid of the ball quickly, um, is accurate with it. The guy that does the wind-up, um, to me, that they look like a pitcher, and you say, you know, this kid's probably a future pitcher. Um, a lot of times that's what you see. So they literally, you know, lean back and lift that front leg up like they're pitching for the mound. Um, and sometimes they end up being two-way players in, in college, and that that's perfectly fine, too. Um, but to me, I'd like to see the, the player with the better actions. Um, they can get rid of the ball, things like that. And then that might be our determination down the road if we're recruiting him to say, you know, not sure he can play the, the left side of the infield. Um, you know, the arm strength isn't quite there, and that would be part of our recruiting evaluation of this player that, you know, if he comes here, he might be limited to, to second base or first base. Um, but I think the player, when going to these events, kind of a big picture thing would be, you know, play to your strength. So if your arm, you know, if it's a big arm, uh, you know, showcase that. And it's okay to lean back and fire a little bit if you're going to be throwing it 88 across the diamond. But if your arm's 80, winding up to fire at 81 opposed to 80, that's not helping you. Be the, you know, the guy that has quick hands, gets rid of the ball cleanly, um, 
get the ball on the, on the first baseman's glove. I just thinking back to uh, my childhood, sort of. I had a brother, older brother that uh, he's three years older than me. He played at a at a you know good uh, nationally ranked Division two, and he was going through Legion tryouts. This is when Legion in in Pennsylvania. I don't think they even do this anymore. But when they had the Legion tryouts, and basically like you would advance different levels until you ultimately like went to the kind of the state uh, Legion showcase. Uh, I remember that there were uh, a pro scout at one of those things told my brother at one point that accuracy really didn't matter. Uh, in that part, people just wanted you to show off your arm. Like if you, if he was, he was a third baseman and if he was a third baseman and he airmailed one and, and threw under the bleachers, um, it wasn't a big deal as long as he had a good arm and kind of same for the outfielders. Like if you let one rip and, you know, throw it off the backstop in a showcase setting, that's okay. Cause you're showing off your arm. Is there any truth to that? Or do you, is that a, is that a minus is that a negative in your book? If a guy, um, kind of just winds up and lets it rip and, and the ball's kind of all over the place. Are you, are you more impressed? Are you so impressed with the arm strength that it really doesn't matter or does that factor into your decision making? Yeah, again, really good, good, tough question again, Jeff. I'd say uh, <laughs> a little, a little bit of both. Um, so, and same thing for an outfielder, you know, that, that throws it, you know, 40 feet on a line over the catcher's head. Um, it shows the arm strength, but it shows a total lack of, you know, execution. Um, so ultimately, you know, it's great to have this big arm, but you need to be able to throw guys out. Um, I think the idea of kind of throwing the ball into the stands, it's not as necessary now because most all of these events, um, are able to just put a radar gun on you. So whether you throw the ball into the stands or throw it, you know, onto the glove, um, the radar gun reading is going to, you know, tell you how, how strong the arm is. Um, and, the, and a lot of times there's a track record of that player so you know what his arm strength is. Um, so for the wow factor and maybe to get a little bit of attention, but uh, to me, you know, can you do both? Can you kind of wind up and really show off your hose but put it in a place where the, you know, the catcher can handle it essentially? Uh, do you have some feel for that? Um, that's a that's a big part of it, and that's that's from the first base. I'm sorry, from the infield side throwing to first base, and certainly outfield. And again, the catcher pop times. You know, we can certainly talk about like that's great if you're one seven to the, you know, the the second baseman catching the ball, but is it anywhere near the sliding zone? So we can go a couple of different ways with this. Let's let's stick with the outfield first, and and. Um... Another thing that I would hear as, you know, as a, as a scout out recruiting is I, I would hear coaches say, like, they wouldn't even pay attention to the outfield throwing portion because basically their thought was, I mean, these are pretty good coaches at pretty high levels would say, I, I, I don't care about outfield arm strength. It's like the last thing I care about uh, with, with outfielders. I care much more about the other tools, and they wouldn't even really pay attention to the outfield throwing portion of it. Um, do you think there's any legitimacy to that? Um, you know, as an outfielder, is it more important to use some other things, uh, or, or you know, will arm strength alone potentially get you an opportunity? Uh, just kind of looking to see how you how you view outfielders and what's important to watch, you know, from an outfielder, yeah. at a, especially at a showcase. Yeah, and just to give it a little bit of perspective, I also coach third base during every game, um, so I evaluate the other team's arms, and you know, I know whose arms are good and whose aren't, and the good arms out there. Uh, that changes how we coach our base runners. That changes how we try and score runs in situations. So um, to say it, you know, it doesn't matter. I don't think that's a, a fair assessment. Um, and teams certainly can build their, you know, their whole programs around offense. And there is a DH, but 
to me, if you have such a deficit um, in something like arm strength um, in the outfield, even in one position, uh, it can be exploited so greatly um, that what should be just a, a fly out and the runner can't tag becomes, you know, a, a weak fly out that you can tag on and score on because the, the outfielder has no chance of reaching home plate. Um, so to me, there has to be at least some level of arm strength there. Um, and you're going to take, you know, your pluses and minuses with, with guys too. So um, to me, I think arm strength is still important there uh, in the outfield, just like foot speed's still important there. And, you know, do you give up a, a little bit of foot speed because they've got a stronger arm or do you give up a little bit of both because they have a, a good, good bat? Um, I think that's all part of this, but at the same token, you know, they can't be so much behind that they, you know, that, that other teams can exploit you. Extra bases is such an important part as you as you move up levels, you know, being able to prevent extra bases, being able to take extra bases on offense, you know, those things are, they, they win a lot of games. They win and lose a lot mm -hmm. of games. Uh, Absolutely. Whether you're talking about a defensive outfielder, maybe a true center fielder or a guy that, that can really play shortstop, is there a room? On a on a college roster for a guy who can really really play defense, but is like borderline being able to hit at your level. Is there enough value in defense for you to bring a guy on like that and and hope you can you know either either take a chance of winning with a guy that that can really really play short when he hits ninth and he's just not you know not a real big factor on offense. Uh, is there room enough for that, or, or is that a, a valuable enough tool for you? to maybe take a flyer on a guy like that, or do you need to see the offensive piece as well? Um, for me, I, 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 ideally you'd like to see that offensive piece in there, or at least flashes of it. Um, but the reality is, you know, I know the exact type of player that you're talking about, and I think we, we hear that from the catcher perspective too. Um, I think our, our approach is, you know, we want to be able to hit one through nine. So, the again, a, a batter that's a complete, you know, a liability that you know there's nothing positive going to come out of in that bat. That's going to be a tough player for us to move forward on. Um, the player that is committed to getting better and just isn't great yet, you know, at the plate, but we see that you know there's something to work with, um, and we feel like we can help transform this this player as a hitter. Um, but I think the you know the and you see it I think particularly defensively the catcher and and the shortstop are like so committed and they work so hard at being good at defense, they never take the time to take the number of swings. And then even when they do get into, you know, the batting cage and to game settings, you can see they just take a defensive approach to hitting because that's, you know, what their whole mindset is about the game. Um, so for me, it's, you know, the ability piece, sure, but also through the recruiting process, if we're recruiting that player we think is so advanced defensively, it's, part of it would be my conversation with the player about, okay, what are you doing to improve your offensive skills? Like, how do you feel about yourself as a hitter? Um, and it might be, you know, just never kind of figured it out, but I want to, and here's some things. So it's a, it's a little bit of a conversation piece. And do we think we can help this player become a hitter over time? So the, the short answer is, you know, if there's such a plus defender that, they can be a late inning substitution for you in the middle infield. There's a plus there, um, but you can't have too many of those guys. Um, you can't fill your roster certainly, or, or even have, again, with our roster limitations, we can't have 
an outfielder and infielder, a catcher that are all just defensive specialists, uh, so to speak. We could have potentially one guy that we feel like, wow, this is a difference maker on defense, but um, you got to pick and choose where you're going to use them. That, that makes it pretty tough. It, it's a tough sell, I think, um, especially since there's so many players out there. So, you know, we can say this player is really good defensively, but we can probably find another player that's maybe a tick lower off on, on the defensive side, but brings a whole lot more to the table offensively. Okay. Let's finish this up, Ross, so you're not on the phone for an hour and a half here. <laughs> Let's finish up talking about catchers. Mm-hmm. Um, you are, you're out evaluating catchers at a showcase. Again, a, kind of a tough setting, but I think a setting that a lot of players out there experience. You know, a lot of catchers are cheating to get their pop times and things like mm-hmm. that. So you probably see some pop times that just aren't very realistic. Mm-hmm. So at a showcase, what are you looking for? Kind of throwing pop times out the window. What are you looking yeah. for at a showcase um, in a catcher to figure out who you're interested in and, and who you're, who you're going to cross off the list? Yeah. I think an important piece to this, and we, we talk about this with our own catchers, with, you know, we run our camps, when I talk to catchers specifically, um, if you look at statistics of, and I suggest catchers do this, if you're looking at programs, look at the statistics of stolen bases against for a team, for instance. So, you know, in a, in a standard season for us, um, stolen bases against, we're probably only going to have maybe two stolen bases against us per game. And it might be, and, and a lot of times it's lower than that. Stolen base attempts. Um, stolen base attempts. And, you know, hopefully we throw out one of those two runners um, or, or both of them. But straight steals um, in our conference and, and against kind of what we see, it's very low. There's a few teams in our conference that we know are going to run a, a whole lot. Um, and every program in the country is a little different, but kind of looking at that. So we, you know, what's going into that's not all arm strength in terms of controlling the running game. But what that means is essentially two times a game, the catcher is going to be called on to do an actual pop, like catch a pitch and make the third or second base or third base and be perfectly on time and all that. They're going to catch 150 pitches. So to us, you know, yes, the arm strength is important. Yes, the pop time is important. But more important to us is how does the catcher receive? How does the catcher block? Um, how does the catcher kind of manage the game, manage emotions of his players, of the umpire, of the pitcher, all that. So um, so I think just to put it in perspective for us, you know, they have to have a good arm, but the pop time being in that 2-0 to 2-2 range, a realistic pop time, that's plenty, plenty for us. Um, so for me, it's receiving pitches. So when I'm looking at catchers specifically, I, I prefer to watch them in a real game setting rather than, um, you know, the coach is throwing pitches from 20 feet away um, and they kind of know where the pitch is going. So to me, it's, you know, how are they receiving pitches, particularly when the pitcher misses his spot. And the drill that we do a good amount, and I'm going to add some video to, to the website as we talked about, um, is having our catchers set up in the location and receive a pitch that's a strike but not in that location. So set up inside the pitches, middle, outside, how do they receive that pitch to make it still look like a strike? Um, and that's a really big part of, of catching how many, you know, strikes you can, you know, get for your pitcher opposed to lose. And we don't quite have the technology uh, as Major League Baseball has to be able to kind of show that how many pitches a, a catcher steals. But, you know, just being able to make pitches look believable 
um, and not turning strikes into balls essentially is, is a big part of that. And we see that, you know, can a catcher essentially receive without taking the pitch out of the strike zone with their glove or their body, um, the blocking piece. And, you know, for us, again, it's a game setting. I can see essentially how, or, or certainly radar, how hard this pitcher throwing. So if the pitcher is throwing 77 and the breaking ball is at 65 and this catcher is having a really tough time handling the change of speeds at that level, um, how are they going to catch a pitcher that throws 88 with a, you know, 80 mile an hour breaking ball? Um, and again, that's just the receiving end. So the catcher can have a great arm, but, you know, they can't catch the ball first. Um, so to me, that's going to be a little bit more important uh, than just straight pop time. Pop time is a, a nice tool to have and, and tells you to basically about one piece of the game, but there's, there's a lot more um, that I think is more valuable um, at our level, certainly. Okay. So in the showcase setting, that there guys just kind of getting like, you know, three live throws down to second base. Are you still interested in the pure arm strength? Are you looking at the transfer? Are you looking at how well the ball carries? Are you looking at how accurate the throws are? Um, you know, besides, again, kind of throwing pop times out the window, is that what a catcher should kind of be prepared to show you at a showcase? Or there, is there something else that you're looking at, whether it maybe be footwork or, you know, or, or how game-like he makes that, that uh, the transfer and the throw on the second base? You know, what are you looking at specifically in a showcase setting? What, do you, what can you get out of a showcase? Yeah, um, and it's a, you know, for me, I get I get made fun of by my uh, fellow coaches out there. That I, I kind of watch everything and take note on everything. So, um, you know, I'm watching everything. So that when you do have the showcase time to just make your throws to second base and you get a, a chance to throw three balls down, I'm absolutely watching um, to say, okay, how's it look? And I'm also noting uh, what the time was, but what did your mechanics look like? Did you stand up on, on that one where you – cheating terribly where you were kind of upright and sideways before you received it and also was the throw online so you get those five throws three throws whatever it may be um and similar to what we talked about with the hitting um in terms of repeating can you know are you repeating your mechanics of your throw each time uh, or does it look a little bit different and you know noting does it look like it's all arm strength or is it arm and body together and sometimes it's that guy who's you know, bodies and feet are doing the right thing, but the arm strength just isn't there yet um, and, and kind of be there. So I'm kind of looking at the whole thing, and the next level would definitely be in the game situation, so showcase style or, or tournament style, you know, catcher, throw down the ball down to second base in between every inning. Um, I recommend asking uh, your pitcher not to throw a, a curveball to you when it's your chance to, to throw down in between innings or throw a pitch in the dirt. Um, and not to do like a half throw down, like from the pitcher side of things, the pitcher should wind up and give the give the catcher a good fastball to throw down on. Um, so I'm going to look at those throws, and then definitely the in-game throws. So the you know the one or two times in a game you might have the opportunity to throw a runner out. What does that look like? Um, and certainly, if you you always want to have your hand on your stopwatch, you might miss it, um, but you can just use your eyes to be, okay, that guy threw it down there right around two seconds, he put it on the bag, or, you know, he had an opportunity to throw this guy out and sailed into center field uh, and was falling off to, to the side, you know, on his on his throwing side and didn't follow through, et cetera. Um, he was shocked by the, the fact that this guy, who looked like a good base dealer, stole on him. Those types of things definitely get, get thrown in there, and that's whether it's a showcase setting, a tournament setting, or, you know, a state championship setting we're seeing a player in. Uh, one last question. 
and then I'm gonna sure. let you go. Sure. When you are when you're recruiting, maybe use a different term, um, but I'm sure the same thing exists. I, I use the term raw a lot when I was watching a kid. This this player is pretty raw. Um, do you have any? Do you have a, a, a term that you use to? Uh, I'm assuming that you have an idea what I mean by that. Do you have a term that you use to kind of mean the same type of thing? And if you watch a player and you consider him to be a raw player, what does that mean? And is that uh, how does that factor into recruiting a guy? Like, do you see a guy that's when I say raw, Ross, I, I just mean um, I, I think he's this kid has not really been coached that much. I think I can can you know can coach up his swing and, and fix his mechanics a little bit. Or you know, if I see a, a catcher, sometimes I almost you feel like you watch a catcher and think like, well, this, I bet this guy hasn't been catching very long. He just is kind of there's there's a lot of things to clean up with him. There's a lot of things to, that we can kind of shore up his mechanics, et cetera. If you see that in a player, how does that factor into to recruiting a guy? Um, as far as how much you like them, how much you don't, or how much you're willing to take a chance on somebody? Yeah, it's a great question, and, and the, the pitcher as well with that. How long has this guy been pitching? Boy, it doesn't look like it. He's been pitching for much. Um, so the term I, I think we might use a little bit more would be polished or unpolished, um, but, but meaning this, the same thing is you know, toolsy or not toolsy or, or raw. Um, so to me, I, I think it's knowing a little bit of the backstory on the player is important. And with the, the high school player in particular, um, you know, I mentioned to you, you know, our, our shortstop and, you know, he played football, but he was very polished uh, as an infielder, as a hitter. Um, that had to do with his work ethic, athleticism and all that. Um, but when we see that, you know, it may be that we see the player first and then we go to find more information on him or the flip side, you know, we get information on the player from the high school coach, the club coach, whatever. So it might be the club coach who says, Hey, this kid just picked up a, a ball, um, you know, after so many months off because he was playing football, and you know we're exploring pitching, and he's, you know, he's throwing the ball really hard, but you can tell by the video, you know, he's not, yeah, he's, he's not a polished pitcher yet. He's not essentially he doesn't know what he's doing up there. Um, so that goes into play for us. Um, the age of the player, absolutely. So you know, is this kid in December of his senior year as compared to December of his junior year? Um, so is there time for there to be development? Um, the growth spurt is definitely part of that, too. Uh, so you look at the player and maybe a player you've seen over a couple of years, but they just shoot up six inches. And now what was polished is not because they're still, you know, now they're really figuring out their body. They seem uncoordinated would be a, a word that I use a lot. Their mechanics are uncoordinated with whatever the skill set may be. Um, so to me, it's getting the full picture. So you talk to the parents, oh, he shot up six six inches. You talk to the coach, you know, we just moved him to the mound or we just got him off the mound so he could focus on hitting. Um, getting that story, um, a, a sidearm pitcher is another one. Um, you know, some sidearm pitchers seem like, wow, they really know what they're doing up there because they've been doing it for a while. Or, it's, you know, this kid has not been doing it for a while. Um, it looks very, very fresh, very new, very again, unpolished to us. So um, I think knowing the, the story behind it, and again, with our, again, our recruiting style of, you know, needing guys to come in pretty close to being able to get on the field, you know, we want to see there's some movement in the right direction there. Um, and it may be telling the player, you know, right now we're, we're not able to move on you, but let's see how you progress. And if you're a senior, and it's December, let's see how your spring goes. If you don't want to wait because you've got other options, that's perfectly fine. 
Um, but for us, it's, you know, let's wait till we see a little bit of development there, a little bit going in the right direction. Um, and for us, we have that flexibility with admissions being rolling admissions, um, with our roster being tight. Um, but, you know, there's always changes. And if, you know, in terms of being done recruiting, if uh, there's a player that comes up in, you know, uh, in June or July that's, you know, popping 92 and is looking for a home, you know, we may not be done with your class after all. Um, <laughs> that, that, that piece definitely comes up and you, you know, the coach are like, all right, we got to explore, we got to at least explore this. Uh, even though we thought we were done with 2020s, let's, let's at least have this conversation here. Um, but I think that that player that is raw, it's getting more information about them and, and, you know, on the baseball side, it's, more video, more times to see them, however it may be, and then finding out the story behind it. Why Why are they, say, 17 or 18 and still very raw? Um, and if it's simply, which it definitely can be, a lack of coaching, then that's that's the story. And then, you know, we take it from there. We get to know the kid and we think, hey, we this kid matches what we're looking for athletically, and we've talked to this kid. We've spent time with him. We've worked with him in a camp setting or or a showcase setting and hey this is a guy we want to work with and we think we can build up um and that's that you know the personal side of it it's a great answer and and it's um i don't know if, if there's a, a kid out there anywhere that considers himself to be raw but i think there's plenty of coaches <laughs> that you talk to that say sure hey i've got a kid here he's really interesting like that yeah. that's a term that a lot of high Absolutely. school coaches use a lot he's interesting that usually means there's something wrong with him but there's yeah but there's something maybe you like you're going to like about him so. Uh, and I think, it, you know, I'm not doing my job and I'm not doing a service to kind of those contacts, those coaches that are taking the time to reach out to me. If I don't at least hear that coach out, hear a little bit what the story is there, um, let me get the information and then I can kind of give direction. And if Westchester is not the place for whatever those reasons are, then I can at least give them a reason and give them a little bit of direction too. Um, and just, you know, because it, it may come back to serve Westchester very well down the road with this particular player or the next guy. Really great, Ross. This is Ross Trachtenberg, everybody. He's the recruiting coordinator at Westchester University, uh, taking a lot of time out of his day-to-day -to, -day to be with us to talk about recruiting and to try to give some insights as to what a uh, you know a nationally ranked Division II recruiting coordinator is looking for uh, at different positions, kind of what you're thinking when you see guys, your different processes. So it, it's been great just sharing some information from you and having this conversation, Ross. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to, you know, to spend your afternoon with us today. Yeah, my pleasure. It's, you know, it's fun talking the baseball side of things. A lot of times we get uh, hung up a little bit too much on the other pieces, which are also very important, the academics, the personality and all that. Uh, it's nice to talk about just the, the baseball side, which is a lot of times it's a little tougher to, to appreciate um, uh, without kind of going through it like this. So this was, it was great on my end, too. Yeah, and it's tough to it's tough to really know. Even though among recruiting coordinators, two recruiting coordinators don't look at things the same way. And uh, but I think it's just valuable information for people to see what's going on in your mind uh, when you're out there. So uh, appreciate your time again. You can catch Ross Trachtenberg videos for free at FigureItOutBaseball.com. He's got a lot of them on there, and uh, and I've been told there are more coming. So that's a pretty exciting thing for the website. Hopefully, you'll check them out when you get a chance. And, uh, Ross, once more, just appreciate you being here today and, and wish you and your family and your team all the best. Thank you very much, Jeff.